to the sub-apostolic age. There is also evidence from outside the New Testament that the common fellowship meal, the Agape feast, was the context in which the early church celebrated the Eucharist or Lord's Supper. The Didache, or Teaching of the Twelve Apostles, is an early anonymous treatise on the Christian life and church order and part of the collective works commonly known as the Apostolic Fathers. The oldest complete manuscript transcription of the Didache is dated 1056 AD, but the work is much older than this and its composition is estimated to have been somewhere between 60 and 160 AD. Clement of Alexandria, circa 1050 to 215 AD, quotes directly from the Didache in his work The Stromata, and Eusebius, circa 263 to 339 AD, refers to it in his ecclesiastical history. Since the 11th century manuscript was discovered in 1873, two much earlier papyri fragments have been discovered, one from the 4th century, the other from the 5th century. Dididachi gives instructions for the prayer of thanksgiving at the Eucharist. It then goes on to give instructions for the prayers and thanksgiving to be said, after ye are satisfied. The latter is a prayer to be said at the end of the meal, and distinct from the earlier Eucharist prayer. The implication is that the Lord's Supper, or Eucharist, and the Agape Feast were still celebrated together at this early date. Ignatius of Antioch, in his Epistle to the Sumerians, written, in the, written early in the 2nd century, makes the following statement. It is not lawful, apart from the bishop, either to baptise or to hold a love feast. Although there has been some debate about it, the most reasonable interpretation of this statement is that the Agape Feast included the Eucharist. According to Lightfoot, the words either to baptise or to hold an agape seem to describe the two most important functions in which the bishop could bear a part, so that the agape must include the Eucharist. Indeed, there would be an incongruity in this juxtaposition, as Anne truly says, unless the other great sacrament were intended, nor would the omission of the Eucharist be intelligible. It seems from this that the Eucharist and the Agape feast were still celebrated together at the beginning of the 2nd century. However, Pliny the Younger, the Roman governor of Bithynia and Pontus from 1110 to 1113 AD, in a letter to the Emperor Trajan, circa 112 AD, regarding the treatment of Christians, makes the following statement. They, that is, former Christians whom Pliny had questioned, but who had subsequently denied the faith, affirmed, however, the whole of their guilt, or their error, was that they were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before it was light, when they sang in alternate verses a hymn to Christ as to a God, and bound themselves by a solemn oath, sacramento, not to any wicked deeds, but never to commit any fraud, theft or adultery, never to falsify their word, nor deny a trust when they should be called upon to deliver it up, after which it was their custom to separate, and then reassemble to partake of food. But food of an ordinary and innocent kind, even this practice, however, they had abandoned after the publication of my edict, of which, according to your orders, I had forbidden political associations. It has been argued that Pliny's reference to an oath here was a misunderstanding. The word use, sacramentum, meant oath in the ordinary Roman usage of the time. It is believed by some scholars that Pliny mistook the Christian's use of the term to refer to the Eucharist for the ordinary meaning of the term, that is, oath. The inference from this is then that the Eucharist had, by this time, been separated from the Agape feast and was celebrated in the morning before dawn, while the latter was celebrated in the evening. There are, however, a number of problems with this theory. First, Pliny's letter contains the first recorded use of the Latin word sacramentum in relation to Christian worship. 
The word does not appear in Christian writings until at least the late 2nd century, since there is little Latin Christian literature before this time. It seems that Tertullian, 160-20 AD, was the first Christian writer to use the word sacramentum in the specifically Christian sense in reference to baptism and the Eucharist, although he also uses it to mean oath. After Tertullian, sacramentum is used by other Christian Latin authors in relation to the Christian faith. To assume that Pliny misunderstood the meaning of sacramentum, indeed if it was even the word his informers used, which is another assumption that cannot be proved, seems to be reading later theological terminology back into the early 2nd century, when there is no evidence for such usage and therefore anachronistic. Second, the use of the word sacramentum by Pliny to mean oath fits the context precisely. The context does not lend credibility to the idea that Pliny misunderstood his informers. According to Van Slyke, Pliny specifies that this sacramentum does not bind Christians to one another for any criminal purpose. They swear rather to avoid such misdeeds as violating informal and consensual contracts for sales and loans, misdeeds that pagans apparently accuse Christians of committing. Pliny's list of wicked acts that Christians swear not to commit bears some similarity to the list of deeds that Livy depicts Bacchanalians swearing to commit. Pliny keeps the Bacchanalian precedent in mind while investigating the possible crimes of Christians. He also weighs the Christian sacramentum in terms of that sworn by thieves, who do indeed bind themselves together for a criminal purpose. Pliny's goal, after all, is to determine whether or not Christians are guilty of any crimes worthy of punishment. Pliny's statement makes complete sense in itself. It does not leave us with questions and doubts about what is being referred to if we read it in a straightforward manner. According to Lightfoot, it would seem as if Pliny had here confused the two sacraments together. The words, se sacramento obstringere, to bind themselves by an oath, seem to refer to the baptismal pledge, whereas the recurrence on a stated day before dawn is only appropriate to the Eucharist. This confusion he might easily have made from his misunderstanding his witnesses, if these witnesses related the one sacrament after the other, as they are related, for example, in Justin Martyr and in Tertullian. More especially, as it was the practice to administer the Eucharist immediately to the newly baptised. Similarly, Van Slyke says, many questions remain about this episode and says, what Christian phenomenon does Pliny have in mind? Does Pliny understand that Christian practice accurately? Pliny might be referring to the rites of Christian initiation, although this is by no means clear. But this passage is only unclear if we insist on presupposing that Pliny's informers did not say or at least mean, what he understood them to be saying. In other words, if we insist on reading his account anachronistically. If we do not allow our reading to be coloured by later theological terminology, such questions do not arise. Third, however, and ostensibly weighing against the above argument for taking the word sacramentum in its straightforward Roman sense, it has been claimed that the early Christians of this era would have objected to taking an oath of any kind as a consequence of Christ's teaching against oath-taking. Matthew 5, 33-37 It is assumed, therefore, that the word sacramentum must have had some other meaning for Pliny's informers and that Pliny misunderstood what he heard. But on closer examination, this objection will bear little weight. Here, another of Van Slyke's comments is highly pertinent. What word did the Christians whom Pliny interrogated use? since they likely did not speak Latin. Pliny was in Bithynia and Pontus, not Rome, and the lingua franca of the Roman Empire at this time was Koine Greek, not Latin. 
It is more than likely that sacramentum is Pliny's word for what he understood his informers to be talking about, but not the actual word they themselves used. If this is so, as it almost certainly is, then this fact lends even less credibility to the idea that the Eucharist is what Pliny's informers were referring to, and that he got his account of the matter garbled. The most obvious and reasonable interpretation of the account is that when the Christians met in the morning before dawn, the Ten Commandments were recited, and the congregation gave an undertaking to keep the law of God in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 5.17, 28.20, John 14.15, and Apostolic Teaching, Romans 13, 8-10. This does not imply the formal swearing of an oath in the sense forbidden to Christians, though Pliny may naturally have understood it to be the kind of oath he was used to hearing, and therefore used the term sacramentum in his letter to the emperor. Making a promise, that is, giving one's word, is not the same as swearing an oath in the sense forbidden to Christians, and the former is accepted by Christ, Matthew 5.37, and does not compromise Christian conscience. To assume that there is a reference here to the Eucharist is a great deal more far-fetched than assuming merely that the early Christians pledged themselves to keep God's law in their daily life, as the testimony of Justin Martyr shows, and Pliny's account fully bears out this interpretation. It seems justifiable to conclude that there is in Pliny's letter no valid reason to assume or infer that sacramentum he refers to the Eucharist, and, therefore, no reason to conclude that Pliny's letter is evidence of a separation of the Eucharist from the Agape feast prior to Pliny's edict forbidding political meetings. Neander comments regarding the Lord's Supper and the Agape feast that we find them both united in the first church at Corinth, and so it probably was with the innocent, simple meal of the Christians of which Pliny speaks in his report to the Emperor Trajan, even Lightfoot, who, on balance, accepts the argument that Pliny's letter is evidence that the Eucharist had by this time been separated from the Agape feast, admits that the inference from Pliny's letter is precarious. Of course, Pliny's letter does also state that the evening meeting had been abandoned by the Christians as a result of his edict forbidding political societies, and it is therefore conceivable, though by no means conclusive, that the Eucharist was separated from the Agape feast thereafter, at least in Bithynia and Pontus.